Chapter 19 of Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume 2, by Arthur L. Hayward. Chapter 19 The Life of Catherine Hayes, a Bloody and Inhuman Murderess, etc. Part 1. Though all crimes are in this nature foul, yet some are apparently more heinous and of a blacker dye than others. Murder has in all ages and in all climates been amongst the number of those offenses held to be most enormous and the most shocking to human nature of any other. Yet even this admits sometimes of aggravation, and the laws of England have made a distinction between the murder of a stranger and of him or her to whom we owe a civil or natural obedience. Hence it is that killing a husband or a master is distinguished under the name of petty treason. Yet even this, in the story we are about to relate, had several heightening circumstances, the poor man having both a son and a wife embrewing their hands in his blood. Catherine Hall, afterwards by her marriage Catherine Hayes, was born in the year 1690, at a village in the borders of Warwickshire, within four miles of Birmingham. Her parents were so poor as to receive the assistance of the parish, and so careless of their daughter that they never gave her the least education. When a girl, she discovered marks of so violent and turbulent a temper that she totally threw off all respect and obedience to her parents, giving a loose to her passions and gratifying herself in all her vicious inclinations. About the year 1705, some officers coming into the neighborhood to recruit, Kate was so much taken with the fellows in red that she strolled away with them until they came to a village called Great Ombersley in Warwickshire, where they very ungenerously left her behind them. This elopement of her sparks drove her almost mad, so that she went like a distracted creature about the country, until coming to Mr. Hayes's door, his wife, in compassion, took her in out of charity. The eldest child of the family was John Hayes, the deceased, who, being then about twenty-one years of age, found so many charms in this Catherine Hall, that soon after her coming into the house he made proposals to her of marriage. There is no doubt of their being readily enough received, and as they both were sensible how disagreeable a thing it would be to his parents, they agreed to keep it secret. They quickly adjusted the measures that were to be taken in order to their being married at Worcester, for which purpose Mr. John Hayes pretended to his mother that he wanted some tools in the way of his trade, viz. that of a carpenter, for which it was necessary he should go to Worcester and under this color he procured also as much money as, with what he had already had, was sufficient to defray the expense of the intended wedding. Catherine, having quitted the house without the formality of bidding them adieu, and meeting at the appointed place, they accompanied each other to Worcester, where the wedding was soon celebrated. The same day, Mrs. Catherine Hayes had the fortune to meet with some of her quondam acquaintance at Worcester, they, understanding that she was that day married, and where the nuptials were to be solemnized, consulted among themselves how to make a penny of the bridegroom. Accordingly, deferring the execution of their intentions until the evening, just as Mr. Hayes was got into bed to his wife, coming to the house where he lodged, they forcibly entered the room and dragged the bridegroom away, pretending to impress him for Her Majesty's service. This proceeding broke the measures Mr. John Hayes had concerted with his bride to keep their wedding secret, for finding no redemption from their hands without the expense of a larger sum of money than he was master of, he was necessitated to let his father know of his misfortune. 
Mr. Hayes, hearing of his son's adventures, as well of his marriage and his being pressed at the same time, his resentment for the one did not extinguish his affection for him as a father, but that he resolved to deliver him from his troubles, and accordingly, taking a gentleman in the neighborhood along with him, he went for Worcester. At their arrival there, they found Mr. John Hayes in the hands of the officers, who insisted upon detaining him for Her Majesty's service. But his father and the gentleman he brought with him by his authority soon made them sensible of their errors, and instead of making a benefit of him as they proposed, they were glad to discharge him, which they did immediately. Mr. Hayes, having acted thus far in favor of his son, then expressed his resentment for his having married without his consent, but it being too late to prevent it, there was no other remedy but to bear with the same. For some time afterwards, Mr. Hayes and his bride lived in the neighborhood, and as he followed his business as a carpenter, his father and mother grew more reconciled. But Mrs. Catherine Hayes, who better approved of a traveling than a settled life, persuaded her husband to enter himself a volunteer in the regiment then at Worcester, which he did, and went away with them where he continued for some time. Mr. John Hayes being in garrison in the Isle of Wight, Mrs. Hayes took an opportunity of going over thither and continued with him for some time, until Mr. Hayes, not content with such a lazy, indolent life, wherein he could find no advantage unless it were the gratifying his wife, solicited his father to procure his discharge, which at length he was prevailed upon to consent to. But he found much difficulty in perfecting the same, for the several journeys he was necessitated to undertake before it could be done, and the expenses of procuring such a discharge amounted to sixty pound. But having at last, at this great expense and trouble, procured his son's release, Mr. John Hayes and his wife returned to Worcestershire, and his father, the better to induce him to settle himself in business in the country, put him into an estate of ten pound per annum, hoping that, with the benefit of his trade, would enable them to live handsomely and creditably, and change her roving inclinations, he being sensible that his son's ramble had been occasioned through his wife's persuasions. But Mr. John Hayes, representing to his father that it was not possible for him and his wife to live on that estate only, persuaded his father to let him have another also, a leasehold of sixteen pound per annum, upon which he lived during the continuance of the lease, his father paying the annual rent thereof until it expired. The characters of Mr. John Hayes and his wife were vastly different. He had the repute of a sober, sedate, honest, quiet, peaceable man, and a very good husband. The only objection his friends would admit of against him was that he was of too parsimonious and frugal temper, and that he was rather too indulgent of his wife, who repaid his kindness with ill usage and frequently very opprobrious language. As to his wife, she was on all hands allowed to be a very turbulent, vexatious person, always setting people together by the ears, and never free from quarrels and controversies in the neighborhood, giving ill advice, and fomenting disputes to the disturbance of all her friends and acquaintance. This unhappiness in her temper induced Mr. John Hayes's relations to persuade him to settle in some remote place, at a distance from and unknown to her for some time, to see if that would have any effect upon her turbulent disposition. But Mr. Hayes would not approve of that advice, nor consent to a separation. In this manner they lived for the space of about six years, until the lease of the last-mentioned farm expired, about which time Mrs. Hayes persuaded Mr. John Hayes to leave the country and come to London, which, about twelve months afterwards, through her persuasions he did, in the year 1719. Upon their arrival in town they took a house, 
part of which they let out in lodging, and sold sea coal, chandlery ware, etc., whereby they lived in a creditable manner. And though Mr. Hayes was of a very indulgent temper, yet she was so unhappy as to be frequently jarring, and a change of climate having made no alteration in her temper, she continued her same passionate nature, and frequent bickerings and disputes with her neighbors, as well as before in the country. In this business they picked up money, and Mr. Hayes received the yearly rent of the first-mentioned estate, though in town, and by lending out money in small sums amongst his country people improved the same considerably. In speaking of Mr. Hayes to his friends and acquaintance, she would frequently give him the best of characters, and commend him for an indulgent husband, notwithstanding which, to some of her particular cronies who knew not Mr. Hayes's temper, she would exclaim against him, and told them particularly, above a year before the murder was committed, that it was no more sin to kill him, meaning her husband, than to kill a mad dog, and that one time or other she might give him a jolt. Afterwards they removed into Tottenham Court Road, where they lived for some time, following the same business as formerly, from whence, about two years afterwards, they removed into Tyburn Road. Footnote, the old name for Oxford Street. End of footnote. A few doors above where the murder was committed. There they lived about twelve months, Mr. Hayes supporting himself chiefly in lending out money upon pledges, and sometimes working at his profession, and in husbandry, till it was computed he had picked up a pretty handsome sum of money. About ten months before the murder, they removed a little lower to the house of Mr. Winyard, where the murder was committed, taking lodgings up two pairs of stairs. There it was that Thomas Billings, by trade a tailor, who wrought journey work in and about Monmouth Street, under the pretense of being Mrs. Hayes's countryman, came to see them. He did so, and continued in the house about six weeks before the death of Mr. Hayes. He, Mr. Hayes, had occasion to go a little way out of town, of which his wife gave her associates immediate notice, and they thereupon flocked thither to junket with her until the time they expected his return. Some of the neighbors, out of the ill will which they bore the woman, gave him intelligence of it as soon as he came back, upon which they had abundance of high words, and at last Mr. Hayes gave her a blow or two. Maybe this difference was in some degree the source of that malice which she afterwards vented upon him. About this time Thomas Wood, who was a neighbor's son in the country, and an intimate acquaintance of both Mr. Hayes and his wife, came to town, and pressing, being at that time very hot, he was obliged to quit his lodgings, and thereupon Mr. Hayes very kindly invited him to accept of the convenience of theirs, promising him, moreover, that as he was out of business, he would recommend him to his friends and acquaintances. Wood accepted the offer and lay with Billings. In three or four days' time, Mrs. Hayes, having taken every opportunity to caress him, opened to him a desire of being rid of her husband, at which Wood, as he very well might, was exceedingly surprised, and demonstrated the business as well as cruelty there would be in such an action, if committed by him, who besides the general ties of humanity stood particularly obliged to him as his neighbor and his friend. Mrs. Hayes did not desist upon this, but in order to hush his scruples would fain have persuaded him that there was no more sin in killing Hayes than in killing a brute beast, for that he was void of all religion and goodness, an enemy to God, and therefore unworthy of his protection, that he had killed a man in the country, and destroyed two of his and her children, one of which was buried under an apple tree, the other under a pear tree, in the country. To these fictitious tales she added another which perhaps had the greatest weight, 
viz that if he were dead she would be mistress of fifteen hundred pounds and then says she you may be master thereof if you will help to get him out of the way billings has agreed too if you'll make a third and so all may be finished without danger a few days after this wood's occasions called him out of town on his return which was the first day of march he found mr hayes and his wife and billings very merry together amongst other things which passed in conversation mr hayes happened to say that he and another person once drank as much wine between them as came to a guinea without either of them being fuddled upon this billings proposed a wager on these terms that half a dozen bottles of the best mountain wine should be fetched which if mr hayes could drink without being disordered then billings should pay for it but if not then it should be at the cost of mr hayes he accepting of this proposal mrs hayes and the two men went together to the bronze head in new bond street to fetch the wine as they were going thither she put them in mind of the proposition she had made them to murder mr hayes and said they could not have a better opportunity than at present when he should be intoxicated with liquor whereupon wood made answer that it would be the most inhuman act in the world to murder a man in cool blood and that too when he was in liquor mrs hayes had recourse to her old arguments and billings joining with her wood suffered himself to be overpowered when they came to the tavern they called for a pint of the best mountain and after they had drank it ordered a gallon and a half to be sent home to their lodgings and mrs hayes paid ten shillings and sixpence for it which is what it came to then they all came back and sat down together to see mr hayes drink the wager and while he swallowed the wine they called for two or three full pots of beer in order to entertain themselves mr hayes when he had almost finished the wine began to grow very merry singing and dancing about the room with all the gaiety which is natural to having taken a little too much wine but mrs hayes was so fearful of his not having his dose that she sent away privately for another bottle of which having drunk some also it quite finished the work by depriving him totally of his understanding however reeling into the other room he there threw himself across the bed and fell fast asleep no sooner did his wife perceive it than she came and excited the two men to go in and do the work whereupon billings taking a coal hatchet in his hand going into the other room struck mr hayes therewith on the back of the head this blow fractured the skull and made him through the agony of the pain stamp violently upon the ground insomuch that it alarmed the people who lay in the garret and wood fearing the consequence went in and repeated the blows though that was needless since the first was mortal in itself and he already lay still and quiet by this time mrs springate whose husband lodged over mr hayes's head on hearing the noise came down to inquire the reason of it complaining at the same time that it so disturbed her family that they could not rest mrs hayes thereupon told her that her husband had had some company with him who growing merry with their liquor were a little noisy but that they were going immediately and desired she would be easy upon this she went up again for the present and the three murderers began immediately to consult how to get rid of the body the men were in so much terror and confusion that they knew not what to do but mrs hayes quickly thought of an expedient to which they all agreed she said that if the head was cut off there would not be near so much difficulty in carrying off the body which could not be known in order to put this design in execution they got a pail and she herself carrying the candle they all entered the room where the deceased lay then the woman holding the pail billings drew the body by the head over the bedside that the blood might bleed the more freely into it and wood with his pocket penknife cut it off 
as soon as it was severed from the body and the bleeding was over they poured the blood down a wooden sink at the window and after it several pails of water in order to wash it quite away that it might not be perceived in the morning however their precautions were not altogether effectual for the next morning springate found several clots of blood but not suspecting anything of the matter threw them away neither had they escaped letting some tokens of their cruelty fall upon the floor stain the wall of the room and even spin up against the ceiling which it may be supposed happened at the giving the first blow when they had finished the decollation they again consulted what was next to be done mrs hayes was for boiling it in a pot till nothing but the skull remained which would effectually prevent anybody's knowing to whom it belonged but the two men thinking this too dilatory a method they resolved to put it in a pail and go together and throw it in the thames springate hearing a bustling in mr hayes's room for some time and then somebody going downstairs called again to know who it was and what was the occasion of it it then being about eleven o'clock mrs hayes answered that it was her husband who was going on a journey to the country and pretended to take formal leave of him expressing her sorrow that he was obliged to go out of town at that time of night and her fear lest any accident should attend him in his journey billings and wood being thus gone to dispose of the head went towards whitehall intending to have thrown the same into the river there but the gates being shut they were obliged to go forward as far as mr macreth's wharf near the horse ferry at westminster where billings setting down the pail from under his great coat wood took up the same with the head therein and threw it into the dock before the wharf it was expected that the same would have been carried away by the tide but the water being then ebbing it was left behind there were also some lighters lying over against the dock and one of the lighter men walking then on board saw them throw the pail into the dark but by the obscurity of the night the distance and having no suspicion they did not apprehend anything of the matter having thus done they returned home again to mrs hayes where they arrived about twelve o'clock and being let in found mrs hayes had been very busily employed in washing the floor and scraping the blood off from it and from the walls etc after which they all three went into the fore-room billings and wood went to bed there and mrs hayes sat by them till morning on the morning of the second of march about the dawning of the day one robinson a watchman saw a man's head lying in the dock and the pail near it his surprise occasioned his calling some persons to assist in taking up the head and finding the pail bloody they conjectured the head had been brought thither in it their suspicions were fully confirmed therein by the lightermen who saw billings and wood throw the same into the dock as before mentioned it was now time for mrs hayes billings and wood to consider how they should dispose of the body mrs hayes and wood proposed to put it in a box where it might lie concealed till a convenient opportunity offered for removing it this being approved of mrs hayes brought a box but upon their endeavouring to put it in the box was not big enough to hold it they had before wrapped it up in a blanket out of which they took it mrs hayes proposed to cut off the arms and legs and they again attempted to put it in but the box would not hold it then they cut off the thighs and laying it piecemeal in the box concealed them until night in the meantime mr hayes's head which had been found as before had sufficiently alarmed the town and information was given to the neighbouring justices of the peace the parish officers did all that was possible towards the discovery of the persons guilty of perpetrating so hard an action they caused the head to be cleaned the face to be washed from the dirt and blood and the hair to be combed and then the head to be set upon a post in public view in st margaret's churchyard westminster 
so that everybody might have free access to see the same, with some of the parish officers to attend, hoping by that means a discovery of the same might be attained. The High Constable of Westminster Liberty also issued private orders to all the petty constables, watchmen, and other officers of that district, to keep a strict eye on all coaches, carts, etc., passing in the night through their liberty, imagining that the perpetrators of such a horrid fact would endeavor to free themselves of the body in the same manner as they had done the head. These orders were executed for some time with all the secrecy imaginable, under various pretenses, but unsuccessfully. The head also continued to be exposed for some days in the manner described, which drew a prodigious number of people to see it but without attaining any discovery of the murderers. It would be impertinent to mention the various opinions of the town upon this occasion, for they being founded upon conjecture only, were far wide of the truth. Many people either remembered or fancied they had seen that face before, but no one could tell where or who it belonged to. On the 2nd of March in the evening, Catherine Hayes, Thomas Wood, and Thomas Billings took the body and disjointed members out of the box, and wrapped them up in two blankets, viz. the body in one and the limbs in the other. Then Billings and Wood first took up the body, and about nine o'clock in the evening carried it by turns into Marlebone Fields, and threw the same into a pond, which Wood in the daytime had been hunting for, and returning back again about eleven o'clock the same night, took up the limbs in the other old blanket, and carried them by turns to the same place, throwing them in also. About twelve o'clock the same night, they returned back again, and knocking at the door, were let in by Mary Springate. They went up to bed in Mrs. Hayes's foreroom, and Mrs. Hayes stayed with them all night, sometimes sitting up, and sometimes lay down upon the bed by them. The same day, one Bennet, the king's organ-maker's apprentice, going to Westminster to see the head, believed it to be Mr. Hayes's, he being intimately acquainted with him, and thereupon went and informed Mrs. Hayes that the head exposed to view in St. Margaret's churchyard was so very like Mr. Hayes's that he believed it to be his, upon which Mrs. Hayes assured him that Mr. Hayes was very well, and reproved him very sharply for forming such an opinion, telling him he must be very cautious how he raised such false and scandalous reports, for that he might thereby bring himself into a great deal of trouble. This reprimand put a stop to the youth's saying anything about it, and having no other reason than the similitude of faces, he said no more about it. The same day also Mr. Samuel Patrick, having been at Westminster to see the head, went from thence to Mr. Granger's at the Dog and Dial in Monmouth Street, where Mr. Hayes and his wife were intimately acquainted, they and most of their journeymen servants being Worcestershire people. Mr. Patrick told them that he had been to see the head, and that in his opinion it was the most like to their countryman Hayes of any he ever saw. Billings being there then at work, some of the servants replied that it could not be his, because there being one of Mrs. Hayes's lodgers, meaning Billings, then at work, they should have heard of it by him if Mr. Hayes had been missing, or any accident had happened to him. To which Billings made the answer that Mr. Hayes was then alive and well, and that he left him in bed when he came to work in the morning. The third day of March, Mrs. Hayes gave Wood a white coat and a pair of leathern breeches of Mr. Hayes, which he carried with him to Greenford, near Harrow-on-the-Hill. Mrs. Springate observed Wood carrying these things downstairs, bundled up in a white cloth, whereupon she told Mrs. Hayes that Wood was gone down with a bundle. Mrs. Hayes replied it was a suit of clothes he had borrowed of a neighbor, and was going to carry them home again. 
on the fourth of march one mrs longmore coming to visit mrs hayes inquired how mr hayes did and where he was mrs hayes answered that he was gone to take a walk and then inquired what news there was about town her visitor told her that most people's discourse run upon the man's head that had been found at westminster mrs hayes seemed to wonder very much at the wickedness of the age and exclaimed vehemently against such barbarous murderers adding here is a discourse too in our neighbourhood of a woman who has been found in the fields mangled and cut to pieces it may be so replied mrs longmore but i have heard nothing of it the next day wood came again to town and applied himself to his landlady mrs hayes who gave him a pair of shoes a pair of stockings and a waistcoat of the deceased and five shillings in money telling him she would continue to supply him whenever he wanted she informed him also of her husband's head being found and though it had been for some time exposed yet nobody had owned it on the sixth of march the parish officers considering that it might putrefy if it continued longer in the air agreed with one mr westbrook a surgeon to have it preserved in spirits he having accordingly provided a proper glass put it therein and showed it to all persons who were desirous of seeing it yet the murder remained still undiscovered and notwithstanding the multitude which had seen it yet none pretended to be directly positive of the face though many agreed in their having seen it before in the meantime mrs hayes quitted her lodgings and removed from where the murder was committed to mr jones's a distiller in the neighbourhood with billings wood and springate for whom she paid one quarter's rent at her old lodgings during this time she employed herself in getting as much of her husband's effects as possibly she could and among other papers and securities finding a bond due to mr hayes from john davis who had married mr hayes's sister she consulted how to get the money to which purpose she sent for one mr leonard myring a barber and told him that she knowing him to be her husband's particular friend and acquaintance and he then being under some misfortunes through which she feared he would not presently return she knew not how to recover several sums of money that were due to her husband unless by sending fictitious letters in his name to the several persons from whom the same were due mr myring considering the consequences of such a proceeding declined it but she prevailed upon some other person to write letters in mr hayes's name particularly one to his mother on the fourteenth of march to demand ten pounds of the above-mentioned mr davis threatening if he refused to sue him for it this letter mr hayes's mother received and acquainting her son-in-law davis with the contents thereof he offered to pay the money on sending down the bond of which she by a letter acquainted mrs hayes on the twenty-second of the same month during these transactions several persons came daily to mr westbrook's to see the head a poor woman at kingsland whose husband had been missing the day before it was found was one amongst them at first sight she fancied it bore some resemblance to that of her husband but was not positive enough to swear to it yet her suspicion at first was sufficient to ground a report which flew about the town in the evening and some enquiries were made after the body of the person to whom it was supposed to belong but to no purpose mrs hayes in the meanwhile took all the pains imaginable to propagate a story of mr hayes's withdrawing on account of an unlucky blow he had given to a person in a quarrel and which made him apprehensive of a prosecution though he was then in treaty with the widow in order to make it up this story she at first told with many injunctions of secrecy to persons who she had good reason to believe would notwithstanding her injunctions tell it again 
It happened in the interim that one Mr. Joseph Ashby, who had been an intimate acquaintance of Mr. Hayes, came to see her. She, with a great deal of pretended concern, communicated the tale she had framed to him. Mr. Ashby asked whether the person he had killed was him to whom the head belonged. She said no, the man who died by Mr. Hayes's blow was buried in Tyre, and Mr. Hayes had given, or was about to give, a security to pay the widow fifteen pounds per annum to hush it up. Mr. Ashby next inquired where Mr. Hayes was gone. She said to Portugal, with three or four foreign gentlemen. End of chapter 19 Recording by Colleen McMahon